Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now i never needed a sequel to blade runner to begin with but when all when, when the perfect storm was assembling and it was like, look, Ridley Scott's not coming back. And I was like, that's fine, because that dude is just ass raping the fucking alien franchise right now. So I don't need him to come back and then just fuck Decker right in front of me as he pours <laughs> sugar in my mother's gas tank. Welcome to Super Movie Brothers. Let's start the show. Welcome to Super Movie Brothers. I'm your host, Super Movie Brother Dave. I'm your host, Super Movie Brother Jay. And we got some house cleaning to take care of, Jay. Caught a little bit of flack for our uh, tenant review on the old Twitterverse and uh, in some of the comments boards for some of the shit that uh, that I post and stuff, mainly in, in in DM chats. But I mentioned... You know, offhandedly after after one of our one of our listeners and, and a good friend of the show, Lee Goff, he wished us a you know a very happy two hundredth episode or birthday anniversary edition, whatever we were doing. Mm, thank uh, you. you know, but uh, he, he gave us a call and and and, and wished us you know a, a happy success. And uh, him and I were talking about Tenet and stuff, and he was like ten out of ten, loved it, absolutely loved it. And I was like, really? I was like, because I was pretty middling on it, like six out of ten. Maybe six and a half, seven. I don't know. But like right around there. Like I, I wouldn't go too nuts about it. But him and I were talking about it. And he's like, I just love the story. Like the, the, the script, it blew my mind. And I was like, the script's brilliant. Like, don't get me wrong. The script's brilliant. I, you know, I hear some people saying they really like the editing. You and I hated the editing, especially mm-hmm. for the first half of the film. Yeah. I didn't think the action was all that was all that spectacular. Um, and I found the sound to be absolutely god awful atrocious yeah hey want to hear the most annoying sound in the world guys, guys, guys. to where the score was drowning out some dialogue and it was impossible for me to hear most of what is being said which i found out while listening to wayne and paul in the countdown pod where i said like you know this movie kind of needed me maybe like a few exposition dumps apparently according to them Every bit of dialogue was kind of like an expedition. Oh, it was. No, it <laughs> exactly. was. It just was not delivered in a clear it just, way. It just, it just wasn't. I just didn't fucking hear it. So, uh, I, you know, I got a few people who were just like, man, I can't believe you scored New Mutants higher than, than Tenet. And I was like, first off, pump the brakes, motherfucker. Because uh, here's, here's the reason that came in higher. It's because when I'm reviewing a film, I'm, I'm also kind of looking at it in the genre that it's in. And maybe that is wrong on my part for doing, but when comparing New Mutants to other comic book movies that have come out, it's it's not that bad. 
it's not bad enough to receive the lambasting that I that I was seeing going on around it. It was it it wasn't that good either. So a C plus is somewhere in that you know seventy five to eighty percent out of a hundred range. Maybe that is high. Maybe it is. But I watched the movie and I was like, you know what? I'm not seeing anything here that's an immediate no for me. And I think maybe like it was a little bit of backlash where it's like, get your you know get your fucking noses out of the air. Come back down to earth a little bit. But when you think about our reviews for Tenet, you know, and comparing it to maybe other Nolan films and other other action films, other spy films, because this 100% was basically Nolan's stab at Bond. (laughs) Kind of. Uh, When it comes when it comes to that, it's to me, it's it's meh. You know, I've heard way better sound in other action movies. There's been way better fight choreography. There has been better explosions. There's been be- it's all the just, action scenes. Yeah, this were, stuff has seen been a done, lot better. Right, it's done other better. Films, yeah. But when we yeah. take my C minus for Tenet because of my absolutely abysmal experience watching it, and we take your C plus from Tenet, and we average them out, that's like a seventy four point five percent out of a hundred, or seventy five percent out of a hundred, which is right in line, kind of with its Rotten Tomatoes score and and its audience score and everything like that. So. Mm-hmm. Me and Jay's grading system—it's—it's it's not that crazy. So if it's if it's a minus to an A plus, that's in the ninety percent range. Uh, if it's a B plus to a B minus, that's in the eighty percent range. If it's a C plus to a C minus, it's in the seventy percent range. If it's you know if it's a D, obviously sixty percent range. F, obviously, it's not even getting factored in anymore. It's just it's just a failure of a film. And we grade it like a school system because. It's easy for everyone to get. You know, I look well, at reviews at least sometimes. Our, at least our uh, American audiences do. Right. You know, right. I, obviously international markets probably uh, right. did not have that kind of grading system in school, so they might not be familiar with the letter grade system. So Right. But when I look at but when I look at some reviews and it's like, you know, I give it a 6.8 out of 10 and I just go like, okay. I don't, I don't understand how you're coming to the 6.8. Like, do you start at 100 and start ticking down? Do you start at zero and start ticking up? Like, to me, it doesn't, it, it, that stuff doesn't make sense to sit there and put such a, such a hard exact number on things. You know, I where, think, I think it's almost like, um, like a 70%, right? It's like a middle of the road C average. That's kind like of, a five. I don't know. I guess a, like, like if they're doing a one out of 10, it'd be a but five. But like when I was, right? when I was I talking know. with Paul from the countdown pod and he was explaining where like, you know, if you have an eighty percent in in university there where he was, mm-hmm. that's high honors. Like that's a really good score, having like eighty percent. So if he's grading something in the in the in the high fifties and low sixties, that's more of the meh range. That's more of like because it's fifty percent. Should it's we meh. just should we just go to the thumbs up, thumbs down? <laughs> no, right, right, right. You almost want to no because I would start thumbs upping too many movies because I've talked about this before. I know, I know. I'm a guy who likes. I could do the stars thing, movies. like the five star up to five stars. You know, that's no. That's I'm not changing our grading system. Easy. I just want to explain. I'm just saying, our grading just saying. system. Yeah. I know, especially as we get into doing some reviews tonight. I just wanted to explain it. Not that I think that anybody is wrong for for their opinions or that they are wrong for taking exception with how we graded it because I don't think I've ever taken the time in 226 episodes to kind of say like hey here's how our reviews work (laughs) Mm -hmm. so here it is if this is I'm not going to apologize for for our tenant review Uh, Jay you did uh, just rewatch it however you saw in IMAX does your grade 
improve? Would you like to regrade the film now having seen it in its appropriate format, I'll say? No, I I still stand behind my C plus grade. However, I did, I would say, enjoy the movie a little bit more the second time going around just because I could hear the dialogue a little bit better and understand exactly what they were saying. Um, It still did not change the fact of the movie as a whole, how it's made, how it was executed by Nolan and the flaws that I had with it, you know, going through as a movie goer, as a, as a watcher of this film through the 150 minutes or whatever it was, um, you know, reflecting back upon it, obviously there are a lot of interesting things to discuss and mostly that is story-wise and script-wise. Um, but as far as the dialogue, the delivery, the actual action of itself, um, you know, it's mainly all Nolan's filmmaking what are the weakest points of this film because it wasn't the performances you know it wasn't so much the written story or script it was the execution of the film itself 100 and 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 that is kind of shocking to say <laughs> for a christopher nolan film and um but it, it it just is what it is and you know i didn't i did not not enjoy myself watching this movie you know and and i still stand behind the grade but even still I will say the second movie go around was a little bit better of an experience for me. See, I find grade it interesting. Still stays the same. Paul from the Countdown Pod, when they did their spoiler review, he had seen it two times, and he said his grade it didn't change, but like his enjoyment of it went down the second time seeing it. Oh, I'll wow. be curious wow. when I see it on video on demand in my format. You know, where where I, I I'm still hoping they remix the sound for for home video, or I could tweak my uh, I could tweak my sound bar or my or my speakers in the house to to kind of <laughs> give me a better uh, audio experience with it, but. I did. I, I did post something else on Twitter. Uh, me and Lauren have obviously been trying to come up with names uh, for 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 this for this child, the child, mm, the child. Um, and I started tossing around the name Grayson because I love Dick Grayson. So I, I made that Twitter post where it's like I'm going to name the kid Grayson because if he's anything like me, he's going to be a little bit of a dick. <laughs> it's, Turns it's out too it's, perfect. <laughs> all, all, all of our uh, anyone who responded to that, everyone's pretty much in agreement. Like, good name, it's good, it's it's good. And, and he's one of my favorite comic book characters. And you know, let's face it, this kid's gonna be a bit of a dick. So, <laughs> well, it's a great name, but also you can have a nickname as Gray. You know, it's kind of a cool name. Like Dorian Gray? No, pass, wow. pass. Well, first of all, I'm just gonna Gray call, is I'm just the gonna last call him name, Son. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna call him Son all come the time. Come here, son, <laughs> son, come here, son. Oh, boy, that's terrible. <laughs> Oh, boy. Right. Oh, here we go. <laughs> run, boy. Run. Boy. Anyway. Flashbacks. Uh, no. <laughs> Jay, let's, let's get into... Let's get into the episode proper now that we're putting our shields down and we're, and we're, we're done defending ourselves from... from I, I, and I make it sound like there's so many people breaking down the door to like get at our necks. It's like two. <laughs> we don't, yeah. It's not, like, it's not like we have that many It's listeners. just these insecurities, people. That's all. <laughs> it's, it's all. That's all it comes down to. Let's head over and let's get into what are you watching? What are you watching? What are we watching? He's trying to watch some illegal channel. Oh, he's watching. No, no, no. Go past this. Past this part. In fact, never play this again. All right, buddy. What'd you get down to watching this week? 
Okay, so for the most part, we will be touching upon what I've been seeing this past week uh, throughout the episode, um, but I have actually finally caught and started watching a series, which I personally think is one of the best things on TV. Um, Let me guess, it's Succession? Succession. Yeah, because you text me and go, are you HBO. watching Succession? And I told yeah. you, no, dude, I canceled HBO when they kept charging I- me $15 a month. <laughs> to have hbo on my cable box and another 15 dollars to have hbo max and i went you know what warner brothers hbo time warner whoever the fuck has your fingers in my fucking pockets fuck right the fuck off with your double dipping asshole bullshit go fuck yourself because i can't watch hbo max on my tv because it's not available on on the apps on my tv and i i i have like you know i'd have to move fire sticks around or buy another fire stick just to get it and i was like you know what i'm spending so much money to buy something i really don't care all that much about so i'll pass so i'll pass but hey you're loving succession with mr cox brian cox i don't quite like a little midnight gobble Cox. Oh, it's fantastic. The whole cast is really, really good. It's just such a really smart and fun watch to show. Uh, you know, just uh, the whole family dynamic is, is really interesting. I've always been fascinated with high society bullshit and all that stuff. And this is, you know, follows the largest media family owned, kind of like the Murdochs, right? It's something like that. It'd be like watching the Murdoch family um, on screen. And it is a joy to watch. It's surprisingly hilarious <laughs> throughout for through through many characters involved and i definitely recommend that but also i think one of the more things that are watching that i'm watching right now also streaming through hbo is a documentary series a nine episode documentary series that um, i'm three episodes in on which keeps unraveling into a more and more crazy thing which is following the i think it's called nixivum cult and it follows that organization that had, um, you know, famous actors and filmmakers involved with it. Um, you know, like Bonnie uh, Pease was in it. And also, you know, obviously Keith Rainier was the cult leader behind it. This brilliant guy that was a nut job. But the girl from Smallville was the famous actress that was his oh, oh, right, right. wing so, woman so- cult recruiter with the sex branding they would brand the girls right yeah this, the, the, this was the sex trafficking yes cult. yes yeah and and this and this didn't become a sex trafficking thing until much much later um this was always sort of like a self-help type of organization and they really as, as know, if there was, two or three episodes of of the michael jackson documentary weren't enough to fucking break my soul oh. hbo's like hey we're gonna fuck you up even harder <laughs> <laughs> with with this, sex trafficking, one of the most well, vile human acts known to it's man. It's not normal sex trafficking. It's it's almost like a pyramid scheme. Of oh, it's sex, sex trafficking. Traffic, it's sex trafficking light. I got it. It, it is. <laughs> and I'm being serious. It really is. When you watch it, you can see how it is. I mean, because these are all members of this organization, and they were all. You know, it's right. very brainwashed it's, people who are selling themselves yeah, for sex. I mean, it is brainwashing, but same like it gets to that point. That's the thing. It's a slow build. It is all for like trying to better yourself. You know, bringing these people in, and I do think they were all doing a great thing. And you know, they were really trying to, they were really helping people for wow. for a long Listen time. Listen to you blaming the victim. After you blame the victim, Jesus Christ, blaming what victim? I didn't blame any victim. <laughs> I'm just saying, in the, in the beginning, and they they sell you. Look, the first episode, they, you know, they sell you, and 
and, and, and then obviously it kind of becomes exactly a whole big kind of a pyramid scheme with different kind of chapters and, and different areas within the company. And they kind of branch off and do their own little things. And this is a small little branch off that happened probably 15 or so years into the actual organization when they started. So, um, you know, it did become something like that, but initially it was pretty much a self-help right. type organization well, that I think, did I a think lot every of good. Cult kind of starts that way you know if you think about yeah, like jonestown yeah. no, and stuff true. like that no, i know for the most part that's true yeah, yeah it's not like jim jones like started out where he's just like all right we're gonna head on down sure. to you know to south america and then we're all just gonna kill each other with uh it wasn't kool-aid they did not drink kool-aid don't besmirch the name of kool-aid it was flavor aid that's that's what they drank oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> when they killed themselves but like richard uh-huh. branson like <laughs> like hosted like an event for them on his private island like this was like a very like it was well known you know, uh-huh. they had multiple places and, and centers around the world. So it, it was a real thing. It wasn't like an illegal Right. I'm just saying that situation. no cult ever starts out as, you know, a death cult. <laughs> it always right. gets there after the leader's been proved wrong <laughs> right. so many times that he's just like, oh, oh, oh I, I, I just heard from I the just heavens. Want more and more and more. Yeah. Yeah. That, that uh, yeah, we all got to kill ourselves because everyone's starting to figure out I'm full of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to lose people. So uh, let's, uh, why don't you come over here, put on your white robes. <laughs> That's right. We're all going to go see Glip Glorp now. <laughs> just just drink it right down. We'll all be on Glip Glorp's ship. I'll see you up there. Yeah, anyway. so it, it is an interesting watch. So I definitely say. Colts just fuck me right the fuck up. I'll be honest with you. Like I, it's, I, I can listen to all the true crime documentaries and stuff like that and podcasts and they could talk about like, you know, children being eviscerated, you know, people being like kidnapped tortured and stuff like and none of it bothers me i don't know why but like as soon as you start dealing with the psychology behind like what a cult does to your to your psyche and everything like that how it just Mm -hmm. completely breaks you down and creates you into this new brainwashed person who just spouts buzzwords that your cult has fed to you and everything like that it's just it just feels so much sadder to me but it sounds interting and i I should check it out but i'm gonna have to bootleg it because i'm not (laughs) I'm not paying HBO money anymore. I just find it so fascinating because I, you know, we do have a psychological background with with work, and and, and I and I do find things like that very interesting. And well, essentially, and, I mean, you and I used to perform cognitive behavioral therapy, which right. was was done to obviously aid individuals, um, sure. and, uh, you know, and and to get them to phase out less desirable uh, traits and and behaviors. But uh, I think that you and I both would not be right. have like you know our own little psychological issues <laughs> so right, that's exactly we, what know. a cult does right. but in, instead of filtering out the, the the negative social behaviors that that you know cognitive behavioral therapy wants to filter out it filters out all the good behaviors <laughs> that you have and then refilters them into cult behaviors and it's like it does the same thing it's still cognitive behavioral therapy you know it's 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 positive and negative reinforcement um to, through just coming right. through one individual to many yeah. and then before you know it you have a bunch of brainwashed zombies living out in the desert yeah, uh you know yeah. and in this case and albany new york stockpiling <laughs> stockpiling ak-47s and stuff so uh no, I anyway hear i hear you it's it, it does sound interesting though i actually uh all my uh you know all my grinning aside i i, I would actually <laughs> i'd actually be interested in checking it out because uh, yeah, yeah i'm sure you would i mean this was big news like two or three years ago uh, i remember that when Huge. when kind of like a couple of the of the higher up leaders went went down mm-hmm. um and it was still like I, I even the news at the time wasn't quite 
understanding the inner workings of of how this of how this cult really really worked. It took a long time sure. to kind of suss it out. Well, that's what that, and I think that's what I that's what I mean by it because it it you know it just it was such a secretive thing how that sex cult sort of began and it was so secretive and it was so. Uh, can I just ask why haven't you started your own sex cult? Oh God, I have no, no desire. You're a goddamn yeah. sexual tyrannosaurus, sir. You're a no, no, fucking no. dynamo in the sack. Why aren't you? Why aren't you starting your own sex cult? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm 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 simmered down, buddy. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a no woman man now. I'm a- currently currently <laughs> riding that blue pill train just to just to get yourself to completion at night, so you get just just <laughs> just the right amount of sleep. I feel you. I'm there. I got gotcha. you. Uh. <laughs> Oh, oh boy! Yeah, Where do you get your it's... Viagra from? Who's who's your family doctor? Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I watched uh, a film that was directed by Dave Franco, brother of James Franco. Oh yes, it's a horror film with Allison Brie. I heard uh, about it's, this. Yeah, it's called the uh, the Rental. So you know, I, I I originally it came out probably about like a month ago, mm-hmm. and I I didn't really see it because I honestly I didn't know jack shit about it this is one of those movies where i was flipping through looking for movies to rent i saw that it had a a, a pretty decent critical score and i was like all right i'm gonna check it out i also like who's in it you know dan stevens like i said allison brie and jeremy allen white from shameless he plays lip in shameless and i was like all right i'm gonna check this out and and if it follows a group of i'll call them young 30 somethings we'll we'll go with that i don't think they really establish an age we'll say young 30 somethings two couples they kind of go on a trip they they rent an airbnb and they discover that they are being watched throughout the the house cameras are set up and everything like that and it, it kind of goes into this weird like state of paranoia that they're all in and obviously there's there's you know inter turmoil between them because the two guys they're brothers um but the the older brother works with the younger brother's girlfriend hmm. and there may or may not be some inter-brother relationship. They're Eskimo brothers. Um, <laughs> but they're also brother brothers. Eskimo brother. When, when two guys had sex with the same girl, they're Eskimo brothers. You have to know what your Eskimo family tree is. That's, that's how you, you get things done. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so there's there's like kind of like this interesting, you know, dynamic going on there with the relationships and everything. But it all gets turned on its head uh, after an incident occurs, we don't want to uh, spoil the film because I do actually recommend it for some people to check out. It's nothing fantastic. I'm not saying like it's 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 definitely. I spent six ninety nine to rent it. I'm not recommending you do that. I'm recommending that you you keep an eye out for it. Yes, on a streaming service. That's what that I was going to do. Have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it it is worth your time. I I I did enjoy my time with it. It was fun, kind of guessing what's going to happen next, and they do throw a couple surprises at you. But I will say this: I was not in love with the end, and I, I don't want to spoil it. But there's a rule in horror movies: if I don't see a dead body, that person can come back. That's just that. That's just a rule of horror movies. I mean, just uh, and they even play on that trope in um, Cabin in the Woods. You know, the stoner guy goes down, right? But you don't see a dead body. And then he comes back. So um, it, it, it it's almost like an on, unwritten rule now. It's it, it's yeah. So along those lines, there's you don't see a dead body at the end, and I was just like, okay, but we're ending the movie here, right? Doesn't feel right to me. 
I need definitive proof that said character is dead. <laughs> that's that's what I'm looking for. But other than that, I, I, I thought it was I thought it was uh, a fairly solid suspenseful trip and. You check it out when it's free somewhere else. And then uh, the other film I got down to watching, Jay, is a... These are both IFC Midnight movies, by the way, because mm-hmm. I love the IFC Midnight series. Uh, but anyway, this one is called Sputnik, and it follows a Russian psychologist who is brought to a secret facility to separate a cosmonaut who returned from space with a symbiote living inside of him. And it is a torrid affair of fuck uppery. Uh, the, the film just went and fucked me right up. Uh, but it's, it, it's not outright horror. It definitely is suspense and thriller. And I don't want to get too deep into the story of it because there are so many twists and turns and backstabbings and information that you gleam, you know, a little bit at a time uh, to, to paint this whole picture. I, I will say I was not in love with the ending, but the ride that they gave me all the way through there, it was pretty darn good. I, I enjoy, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Obviously it's a lower budget film and, and a lot of the visual of the monster the, of the of the symbiote that's there okay involves cgi and at times it's fine at other times it's not especially when it's moving it's it's not that great but you almost like are just like oh, well what do i expect from a film that had like a uh, less than a 50 million dollar budget with uh with a fully cgi character essentially so that is a problem but really it's the it's just the cerebral nature of the film i really enjoyed that aspect of it. Do you think it's something that I would enjoy? Yes. Okay. I think you would enjoy it more than I would, probably. Oh, huh. yeah, because the way you described it, I'm like, yeah, this kind of sounds like it might be yeah. something for me. And yeah. and and while I'm sitting here, like like thinking about it, like w- like towards the end of the film, I was like, well, we're dealing with like a symbiotic relationship and stuff like that. And why wasn't Venom done like this? <laughs> like not not quite to this degree, but maybe half of this, and you know six dozen of whatever venom was you put it together and you get the baker's dozen of a better venom film and it's like i you know I, I would like to see i would like to see a screenwriter like this take their stab at it now the film is like i said it's russian so the language is russian the setting is 1983 soviet russia so yeah you know, take that if, if you're not a subtitled type person then this really isn't for you and if you're looking for something that's going to have like a set beat of incidents let's say like a certain amount of blood or gore or action stuff like that this is not going to tick your boxes for like for 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 hitting that quota for you you know you might go you might go 15 20 minutes of this film and be reading dialogue it's all interesting dialogue but it, it you know it's not hitting you with that type of experience you know it's it's kind of dialing it back a little bit but i i liked it i liked it a fair bit so do i recommend renting it Again, no, no, <laughs> it'll be free somewhere. I rent these things and I spend the seven or eight dollars to rent them. So you don't have to, but I would definitely, if you're, if you need something to watch and you're willing to rent something, I would recommend Sputnik over the rental for sure. Okay. Good, to, good, good call there. All right, Jay. Uh, I think the other thing I got down to watching this week before I get into before we get into our reviews, I'm going to be reviewing Mulan. I'll be reviewing Charlie Kaufman's "I'm Thinking of Ending Things." But before we do that, Jay, we got 
a show, a show that I've been waiting over a, well, about a year for. We got The Boys season two. It finally premiered. This is a fucking mess, son. We got a soup terrorist. Rainer's blowing a canister. And we're the most wanted cunts in the country. But don't you worry. Daddy's home. Me and my wife, we were poised. We sat down. We were fucking ready. We were going to binge that entire show in two nights. Friday night, then Logan wakes up and we can't watch that show because Billy Butcher says fuck, cunt, and twat quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> and, and then we were going to finish it up on Saturday night. But Friday night uh, comes to an end and episode three comes to an end. And I was just like, all right, well, let's try to fit one more in. So that way, it's, I think I believe it's an eight episode uh, series, just like it was last year. So let's watch the fourth one. And then we'll just finish up the other four tomorrow. Wrong. Come to find out, sir, that they only released those three episodes. And it's going to be one episode per week from here on out now i don't know if they're sticking to the eight episode formula so whether we only have five more weeks with the show or whether they've increased it to a larger number like a 10 or 12 like like some some other shows are but before we even get into what we liked about it like did this already set you off did did it bother you that it was only three episodes that you got that it was different formula than what they had presented last year um not so much because of just because of the what I've been watching in, in my slate, you know, I, I was like, oh, and I, I just didn't assume, I just assumed there'd be three episodes per week for whatever reason. I don't know why. Now, I know that's out of the ordinary, especially for Prime, but now knowing that it is three episodes all at once and then one episode going forward weekly, I'm pissed. I'm quite pissed. I am far more upset than you are. I no, I know you are. Yeah absolutely fucking pissed i don't have a lot of time to watch things i real, i like I, I really don't i know it seems like hey man you watch a lot of shit yeah i do i i do watch a fair bit of shit i do but it, that that takes a lot of time uh, maybe if i followed the the production of this and stuff like that like i said last week i stayed mostly blind on it but i gotta tell you these fucking motherfuckers i can't believe this shit they're fucking cunts <laughs> <laughs> it's a sack of fly riddled horse shit that the boy season two comes out and I'm like, Oh fucking joy. I'm going to binge watch the shit out of this. But no, they only gave me three fucking measly episodes, not a whole season. Like Amazon had done previously. They can only give me three fucking episodes and I got to wait weekly from there on. They're fucking donkey raping shit eaters. And I, I, I still am kind of pissed off about it. Now I know some people are like, no, I like this. You know, I like, I like having the ability to kind of keep it in the zeitgeist and, and people can continue talking about it now and stuff like that. But in our current stay at home culture, are we really gathering around the water cooler and uh, discussing this stuff at work? You know, I mean, not really. Like Nick from Epic Film Guys said, the first three episodes were excellent. I can't wait for more. I honestly don't get why people are so upset about the release model. Our society has truly become too much of an instant gratification. I want it all now. Society. He's just happy that the boys exist. And I'm just happy that the boys exist as well. Mm -hmm. But... I don't understand the change in formula. The So Wizard podcast said, I hate not having it all to binge at once. 
but I understand that it's marketing reasons that they did it this way. And I fail to see the marketing reasons behind this, to be honest with you, because Amazon's a yearly subscription. So where's the marketing come in on this? The only thing I could think of is if you're like, uh, you know, like our good friend, Justin Winters, who hasn't watched the first season, but now is jumping on board. He's going to watch the first season. He can watch these three episodes and he will be completely caught up to where we are. Uh, Wes from Via VHS podcast said he understands why Disney did it with the Mandalorian. So do I. Star Wars. I'm not saying it's 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 not it's more loved than the boys, but it, it it probably is. But there's also a larger conversation to have there because there's a larger universe that it's tied to, and it's fun to dissect each episode, probably more so than the boys is. But either way, it still keeps everyone on the same page, gives others a chance to see it at a doable pace without others spoiling it as much, which is true. It it, it does it does kind of add that and then justin sent me a gif of mr pink saying do you know what this is it's the world's smallest violin playing just for you dave <laughs> well do you want to know my my take on it that yeah, i go think nuts. Uh, go nuts now now that my rant is over yeah, and i excise the anger from myself for and, for a time and by the way it is sticking with week one week at a time it's not going to be stretched out between episodes at all. So, and it is only no, eight episodes. Yeah, yeah I, so know, October, I know. October, yeah, October 9th is the last episode. My theory is I think that they just didn't finish it and they didn't complete every single episode about that well. with the editing and all that stuff because of the pandemic. Um, I think that they just needed more time to, to finish some of these episodes up. And that's why they, um, they had to kind of do it this format. Now, if that's the case, I really I think get it's it. that why it. because they would have announced. I think they really would have announced this um, beforehand, and I think this was like an, like a last minute experimental type of thing. They put the three episodes out. Obviously, thank God, the third episode rocked, and it was a lot better than the previous or the first two episodes. Um, right, to hook right. us really in and keep us going forward, but. We're not used to this. This is the first time this has happened, and we're all angry now that we have to wait week uh, by week. You know, I'm I'm less angry now. Like you know, like Nick, I'm kind of just happy that it exists. Yeah, well, that's true because this is something that like they're they're really hitting it on the head. <laughs> it also gives it's me reason nice. to like I probably won't go back and rewatch episodes one and two, but I certainly will probably go back and rewatch episode right. three. It's so funny. Um, the third episode oh, it's is so, so funny. It's, it's really well done. The third episode did for me this season what the first episode did last season. Like the first episode just fucking grabs you yeah just oh, yeah. absolutely grabs you it, it it makes you laugh in like a sick sadistic twisted way which is always my favorite type of laughter oh, yeah. but <laughs> a lot of that <laughs> but but th- th- this season is really reintroducing you to the characters and i don't mm-hmm. mean like they're taking time to explain who they are they're reintroducing their status right now like where they stand because yeah. they really hammer at home in the first two episodes like yeah. we're fucking living underground we're, we're wanted by the cia by the fbi and by vault and the fucking superheroes like we, we are walking targets we can't even go outside and it's like that's an interesting dynamic. It's 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 new. They're all stressed out, and they and of course are the seven too. Billing. The whole do you know dynamic between the seven and and right. um, you know, uh, which is another status quo that we need to be reestablished on because where we left things, oh sure, one of them was having a massive coronary, and <laughs> another one was dead, and you know it was all up in the air. They were all having kind of ex- existential crises, all at this yeah. crises, all at the same time. So. Um, you know, re-estab- those two episodes reestablishing kind of like where we are now in this season post what happened in the first season, I'm fine with. It was, it, it, and, and it wasn't boring. It's not like the setup was boring or anything. 
anything like that. It's just that episode three is where they threw it into fifth gear and they're like, all right, go. When a DeLorean hits 88 miles an hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Yeah. Now let's and crash you know. a boat into a fucking whale. <laughs> <laughs> It's not spoilers. It's uh, in the trailer. But, that was so good. But, that's true. Let's, crash a, let's fucking crash a boat through a whale. What do you say, kids? Oh, my God. <laughs> Pinocchio Love and uh, Geppetto. It. Yeah. You know, <laughs> fucking flying out of Maestro. And, 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 and push your son off of a roof. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was just, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've read the comic, so I knew how fresh and interesting and and different the boys was from most you know comic book media out there it's obviously you know a response to comic book culture and stuff like that to to, to geek culture and stuff and it it, 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 it both plays reverence to it but also kind of thumbs its nose at it at the sure. same time and and plays and has a lot of fun with those tropes and it's something fresh and unique yeah and the cast and is killing the cast really just knows their parts inside exactly. and out and really and you worry it. you worry with a second season that it's not going to capture that like it did in the first season but so far leading up from episodes you know after episode three it, it's still they still got it it's still there. Oh, yeah. You know, it, I, I don't think it's diminished at all. I mean, obviously, we still have five more episodes to go, so we'll see where it goes from there. But now, now's your chance. I mean, it, 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 Amazon has slowed down the release of it. If you haven't started watching The Boys from season one, fucking jump on it. I don't care if you have to fucking blow somebody to get their Amazon Prime account. Do it. Because it's worth it, uh, and if you if 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 you're too much of if you're not man enough to take a load in the mouth, then <laughs> then uh, what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to pirate it. And I don't recommend that you do that. No, no, I'm still single. Come on, but it's worth federal prison. <laughs> I'm telling you that <laughs> it's, it's worth federal prison. <laughs> All right, so Jay, that's gonna do it for what are you watching? Me and you got two reviews that we are going to get into. So let's head over, let's start with you and let's head over and let's get into your review of I'm thinking of ending things. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think you're ending things. All right, Jake. I'm thinking of ending things. This little Charlie Kaufman ditty that made itself that made its way onto Netflix. Yes. What you got for it? All right. Well, this is the latest and. To me, not the greatest. Uh, written and directed Charlie Kaufman film. Uh, he has done some great things, obviously. Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, he's done uh, being John Malkovich, among other things. And this one is one of the most complicated films that and, and bizarre films that you'll probably ever watch this year. And I'm sorry. Probably, are you saying it's more bizarre than being John Malkovich? Because oh I yeah. find that really hard to believe. No, no, no. <laughs> it is, and that and that's saying, and that's what I'm saying. It, it's saying something. Saying this, a is, lot. this is this is this is the most difficult movie 
to get through for a Charlie Kaufman film, and that's saying something because that's this is dense. This is a lot of things going on that make no sense, and you kind of have to let that kind of go because on the surface it begins one way where you know you you're following this young woman you know played by jesse buckley and she gets picked up by her relatively new boyfriend played by the great jesse plemons that we love and they're just traveling to his family's farm for dinner you know to meet the parents oh yeah you can milk anything with nipples i have nipples greg could you milk me? And it it becomes this trappings of inner monologue, you know, within her character, and then slowly integrates into other characters and and how they are acting to, um, you know, to Jesse Plemons' uh, character, and then also it splices in. Jesse Plemons is a weird looking motherfucker. I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not saying he's ugly. I'm just saying. He's interesting looking, and he fits yes. right at home in a Charlie Kaufman movie. Yes. You know, yes. uh, if you don't know who who he is, um, he's the cop, the next door neighbor cop in Game Night, and he's also I, I think he's done in really, like you know he was in Friday Night Lights, the TV show. You know, he was I, I think in, the uh, thing Breaking everyone recognizes, yeah, that's the thing everyone kind of recognizes him from. He's the dude that shoots a little boy in the desert. Uh, in yep. Breaking Bad, <laughs> so. Philip Seymour Hoffman's son in The Master. You know, I, 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 he, he's, he's done a lot of small parts, and he's fantastic and everything. I, you could tell he takes his his job and his work very seriously. Um, you could tell he's going to have an Oscar one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fucking hard things. living life being like looking that weird. So yeah, yeah. But to do yet something somehow to he's married to Kirsten Dunst. So, good for you know, him. Good for him. You know, he's a funny motherfucker. I guarantee. Yeah. I just look at that guy and I know he's funny. Yeah, because I'm because I'm I'm chubby, awkward, and 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 slightly ugly. So like I I know that you have to be somewhat. <laughs> funny or charming to to get by in life just for people to notice you yeah that's why i'm so loud in this show <laughs> <laughs> so this film becomes an exploration of to me now i could be wrong but to me this ultimately becomes a, a bit of a dementia story of some sorts i become i believe i don't want to say this is this could be a spoiler i'm sorry everybody but like in my interpretation i believe that this is kind of a fragmented exploration of one man's slow remaining days suffering from dementia and reflecting upon his relationships and his life and his loves and his is um his interests all kind of spliced in within a film so it's kind of like the notebook a little bit more <laughs> fucked up but like the notebook <laughs> no <laughs> i mean i guess you know kind of in theory um yeah yeah i guess you could say that i guess you could say this is the most fucked up kind of notebook maybe you can think of right. um and you just wouldn't know that, you know, until after the fact. And then even still, you might not think that. I, I That's my perception of this film, um, of, of from what I've gathered from this movie. Now, I did not enjoy watching this movie. And that was the power of the problem for me was I didn't understand what the hell was going on. It doesn't make any sense. It, it's not even that enjoyable. And for me, the written dialogue at times is fun to watch and, and see how um, they deliver it. But you have to really be on 
bored with Charlie Kaufman's brand of humor, which is drugs. You have to, you really have to be it's on extremely drugs. Extremely dry, and you kind of have to be a little loopy and a little high, perhaps. But um, it either works sometimes or it doesn't for me. And this one is a hard no. I'm giving this a D plus. Wow, that's um, super low, man. It's very, getting really good reviews. I stayed away from it because I know I'm not the type of person who's going to like it. Exactly, especially the indie film community, and and a lot of people like this kind of things. And 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 normally, I feel like I do. For me, I did not enjoy this at all. I did not now like it I at all. I kind of want to watch it just to like it more than you, and then tell you how fucking insane you are for I, not I, liking and it. I've, and believe <laughs> me, I've, I've 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 gathered and I've heard plenty of great reviews, and they're explaining it, and I'm like. Yeah, I get it. I hear you. I just don't like it. You like it. And it's just really what it is. It's the taste thing. And I think for me, it didn't work. And I didn't enjoy myself watching this movie a la Tenet, you know, and obviously a different kind of way. But this movie ultimately didn't do anything for me. And it's long. It's two hours and 10 minutes and you feel it. And I didn't enjoy myself watching this. Um, but the performances were fantastic. So that's what gave, ultimately I think gave it a D plus for me. <laughs> it's just the performances are good, you know. But it's not enough to keep you to keep you wanting to watch it. I kind of no. want to watch it. I'm not gonna lie. When you do bad reviews, I I really actually want to watch movies more than when you do. I good feel like reviews. I've been doing a lot of bad reviews you lately. I, I, I think I, we both I, have been. I, I mean, I don't know whether we're just jaded. We could is, be jaded. I don't um, think so. I, you would think we'd be higher because we're just desperate for movie content. <laughs> well, we'll see. Because I'm gonna head into my Mulan review. Mm. You've been hiding something. I sensed it the moment I met you. When they find out who you are, they will show you no mercy. But only the most true will become a great warrior. I will bring honor to us all. Mulan. I think we all know the story, but I wrote a synopsis anyway. Mulan tells the story of a Mushu-less young woman with a powerful chi who takes the place of her father when he is drafted into the Imperial Army to defend it against the Ruan invaders who are led by a vengeful leader, Borakan, and his sorceress. Mulan must find out when her reflection will show who she is inside as she risks life and limb making a man out of herself to bring honor back to her family and all of China. See what I did there? I fit in mm-hmm. lyrics to Mulan songs into the <laughs> You're into slick. My synopsis. You're slick. Effortlessly. Because what this movie doesn't have is lyrics to any of the Mulan songs. Not that I needed it. I didn't need There's a musical There's no songs number. in this movie, right? I mean, the they're, they're interlaid into the score, which feels weird. Because these are songs that are kind of written for a Western audience. And the music, as as they play like, you know, when will my reflection show mm-hmm. who I am inside? And that melody is playing uh, like undertoned. And I was just like, that doesn't fit with a feudal China <laughs> story. You know, I'm expecting maybe a little bit more of like Chinese epic, you know? Maybe a little bit more Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because you're clearly taking a few cues from that and House of Flying Daggers and Hero with Jet Li. Like you're 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 clearly taking that stuff as inspiration moving forward. But 
it doesn't have any of that. And that's not a knock on it. I'm not knocking it for not having the song. So I don't want to hear anybody who's like upset at me because I'm not giving it a good review because I didn't like the, because I didn't like that it didn't have songs. I wasn't expecting it to. I knew that the director, Nikki Caro, had already said there's not going to be, there's not going to be singing in it. It's not going to be like Beauty and the Beast. It's not going to be like The Lion King. It's not going to be like Aladdin. We're not doing that. We're telling the story of Mulan and it's a more adult story. And it is. Instead of being PG, it's PG-13. Uh, there's a lot of battles in it. And some of the action is pretty darn good. I liked some of the action. Not crazy about the fact that Mulan is swinging a sword and I'm watching bodies fall to the ground and not one ounce of blood is on that sword. It's PG-13. Kids know, you know, anyone over the age of 13 anyway knows that when a sword goes through somebody, there's going to be a little bit of blood. So that did yeah. bother you? It does. It does. Mm. I'm sorry. A sword doesn't cut people. When you stab someone with a sword, it comes out perfectly clean. Hey, hey I wasn't sure if this is yeah. kind of the the property that you thought that you would let that go. You know, when, it you, just when you give it a PG thirteen rating and you tell me you're not going to give me songs because you know you want it to be more adult oriented and stuff all right, like that. All right, that's fair. That's fair. You know, but, but it is but, Disney, <laughs> right? But then you also tell me that like, no, we're not going to have a talking dragon in this because this is not a kids movie, and it's like cool but you're going to give me a sorceress who turns into a falcon and flies all over the place. And you're going to have magical people doing magical things that that magical stuff can exist, but the dragon can't like not even a silent dragon following around. No, instead, instead of getting uh, a dragon, you get a flying Phoenix, which looks awful. It just looked awful. It just, it just shows up at, and, you know, when the Phoenix shows up and it's flying overhead, her family crest instead of being a dragon is now a Phoenix. And when a Phoenix flies overhead and stuff like that, you know, there's going to be a big change in the movie because the Phoenix represents rebirth and change. And it's like, okay, I get it a little on the nose, but that's fine. Um, so I mean, it, the, my big problem in this movie comes down to the fact that it's a female-led story, and I'm going to catch flack for this. I know it. I but And it's written by three female screenwriters, and I don't feel like I'm getting that strong of a female character. Don't get me wrong. She is a strong female character, but I'm getting zero emotion from her whatsoever. Is it the actress? Is well, it the performance? I mean, it Lou could be that. Is, you know, Yiffy Lou is, she is a stunt actor. You know, she was hired for the fact that she can perform these stunts. She's cute enough to to to, to, to play market. a leading right. lady, right? But you can butch her up a little bit, and you can pretend that she's a man too. Um, you know, she she fits the bill. She like she 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 checked the boxes that they needed. But you know, there's a moment, and, and we all know the moment because it happens in the in the animated film where she takes her father's sword, she takes his armor, and like the music swells and you feel that this is a hard decision for Mulan because she's leaving her family and she's possibly going off to her death in the place of her father. And she has that dramatic moment where she cuts her hair and she leaves everything behind in this. She looks at the armor and then in the next scene, she's arriving at the camp. 
<laughs> for training. And I was like, cool. So you just completely washed over the fact that this character has any type of emotion whatsoever. Like you, That was that, one of the most powerful points right, in the movie almost. That's, that's an emotional <laughs> moment that yeah. I feel like you've just completely skipped over. They do give her a few moments where she's kind of doubting herself for, for making this decision where she's somewhat dying in the Gobi Desert as she's heading to the training camp. But to me, it was like, where's that moment? I could have been the director too. They that that emotional that moment. I mm. think they might have cut it out in in favor of of more flair for the international audience. Action. Right, exactly. Which yeah. is getting into what our top five is this week, which is movies that flop domestically, but kicked ass internationally you know mulan is the reason that we're doing that because it, it is doing well internationally and it, it's doing fairly well at home too and it's getting fairly good reviews too it's just when i watched it i i'm seeing a fairly decent action movie that is slightly better than the great wall but nowhere near as good as any of the films that it's trying its hardest to be like like crouching tiger hidden dragon hero flying house of flying daggers why do i keep using those examples because there's they're, they're the ones i've seen <laughs> Uh, I'm not entirely, you know, familiar with this genre, but I could definitely tell that they are trying to emulate that style, but I feel like they did it half-assed. They kind of firmly planted their feet on both sides of the fence here one foot in in the disney camp the other foot into the into into like the modern kung fu movie camp and then they just walked that line the entire time and it it didn't really serve as either of them enough but i said the action was fine uh the story is fine but also her, her, her companions that she has i didn't get much from them either you know, I, I, I didn't, they didn't really allow any of them to develop in any type of meaningful way that made me care for them about their survival or anything like that. I really only cared about Mulan. And I think that came from the fact that she's the titular character and that's it. But her main character motivation, you know, I understand the, the honor and everything like that, that she, that, that she's trying to restore to her family. But I felt like it was coming from an emotionless person you know she shows emotion very little in the film and i would have liked to have seen that wow. punched up more uh, you know this I'm is also- really surprising i'll be i'll be honest i mean i i you know they 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 dropped that first trailer well over a year before this came was supposed to come out oh yeah i mean and we went into lockdown this was early two weeks summer before this right. well this this was early summer 2019 when this first trailer came out yeah this is supposed to come out in like april or yeah or may we went into lockdown like just a few weeks before this was supposed yeah. to premiere so like they were poised to premiere this film oh they, exactly you also give me donnie yen donnie yen is one of the best martial artist actors that's out there we yeah, we've seen his greatness in in uh Rogue One. Are you kidding me? I'm blind. You don't see him fight in this movie. You see him do some do some training moves and stuff like that, but you don't really see him fight. That mm. bothered me because I'm like, I'm sorry, you you hired Donnie Yen to not do anything. You also have Jet Li playing the Emperor. You'd be forgiven for not knowing he's the Emperor because he's fucking old since the last time you saw him. I don't know when the last time you saw him was, but Romeo Must Die was in the early 2000s. He's fucking old now. Uh, <laughs> but that that's, that's all well and good. But I mean, like they also don't really explain chi. And I know that maybe for, for the Chinese audience, you, you hear the word chi and you may be like, I understand what that is. I understand what's going on here. But for me, I was just like, all right, so Mulan has great chi. Therefore, she's a great warrior. And they do show her training at like a young age 
age and stuff like that. So you kind of get that she was already a good fighter before even going to the army. But then you you meet other characters who have powerful chi and they can do amazing things. And I'm like, all right, so is Mulan's chi not as powerful as the sorceress's chi? Because I thought, you know, she uses chi to turn into a falcon. Can can Mulan turn into a falcon? Can she turn into a phoenix? Because that's honestly where I thought this was going. Where I was like, all right, so the sorceress is super powerful and she can turn into uh, a falcon. So maybe Mulan can turn into the phoenix and that's how this will end. Like a big aerial battle between the CGI phoenix and the CGI falcon. Now they didn't go that crazy, but it kind of seemed like that's what they were setting up when they say like chi is what powers both of them. So I was, here's what it comes down to. It's fine. It's fine. Me, we, we watched it with my daughter. My daughter was a little bit bored by it because, again, it's not for kids. My right. wife was like, okay, it's fine. And by the time it was done, she's like, did you like it? And I was like, like mm. I'm, I'm 50-50 on it. I, I really didn't care about this movie at, at all. At, at no point where I was expecting to get like a big emotional moment out of it did I get anything. You know, when she, when she makes the decision to reveal herself as a woman – to me, it felt like it happened on a dime. She has she has a conflict. Someone kind of mentions like you'll never be as good as you think you are if you're not, you know, if you're pretending to be someone else. And she's like, "You're right." And she rides back into battle as a woman. And I was like, "Wow, that was quick." And then like they're they're like, "Oh, you're banished because you're a woman." And if I see you again, I'll fucking kill you. All right, that's it. Dishonor. Dishonor on your whole family. Make a note of this. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. Stop. Five minutes later, she shows back up and she's like, no, you got to listen to me. And then they listen to her and they're like, you know what? I don't care if you're a woman. You're right. And it's like, wow. She just completely undid thousands of years of chauvinism in, in moments. She she must have had the most progressive army uh, you know leaders out there uh, and that, that kind of bothered like it all just felt so it, it felt like it took so long to get to the point where we were where we were getting into battles and getting excitement and then when when i should be getting those emotional turns it's all happening so quickly that i was just like i don't have time to even resonate with this character at all because you're moving me on to the next thing and I got nothing emotionally back from this from this character at all in any regards to it. The only time I felt anything was at the end when, you know, I, I guess I won't spoil it, but I mean, she saves China and brings honor to her family again. And at the end, I was like, oh, that's good. Good for her. I wish I liked it good. more, the journey, but yeah, it is yeah. it is what it is. You know, I, I, I know there's a lot of people giving this pretty decent reviews, and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. What I'm saying is I don't like it all that much. I haven't heard anything groundbreaking, that's no, for sure. I don't no. think there's any like spectacular reviews out there. No, I mean, look, honestly, um, I'm where Jay was for his. I'm on a, I'm at a D plus, man. It's a D plus. Um, I'm, I really regret the fact that we spent thirty dollars to get Disney Plus Premiere, uh, for for a Premiere access for it because mm-hmm. I could have waited the three months. If I knew it would be this, I could have waited the three months. I just, I, I don't see anything here, and I, I, I so you had talk- to upgrade to the Premiere. You didn't have to just pay the flat thirty or something, or. Oh, no, no. It's 30, and then you're going to have to pay that for every movie that comes out on Premiere Plus, which rumor is uh, Black Widow, if if things don't improve in the States, Black Widow may premiere on November 6th in theaters and also on Disney Plus premiere. You may see Disney doing this a fair bit moving forward if Mulan does well enough with this premiere access thing. And I, and, right. and by early early showings it, it is going to it, it is going to be pretty successful on disney plus i look i 
I, I would like to sit here and tell you that like I got enjoyment out of this film. And I, I did. I got very minor amounts of enjoyment. The costumes are fan fucking tastic. Let me like I'm serious. And I and like that's not something I usually notice in films, but like the costumes were dope. <laughs> like shit looked good. And for the most part, like it, it the bright colors and stuff like that, it looked good. This movie looked good, but in the end, it's pretty hollow. All right, Dave. Well, send your hate mail to me on Twitter at Super and me too, right? (laughs) (laughs) At Super Movie Pod, God, we are just dumping on everything lately. Are are we jaded? Like, is that what's going on? Are we just fucking jaded? No, it is what it is. Has like lockdown just broken us? I used to fear that we were dictating too many movies. I mean, at times over the years, you know, there, there, it just goes and ebbs and flows. You know, it just is what it is. You know, it just happens to be this way right now. It could easily change starting next week you never know all right jay that's it uh you know we i think we both gave d pluses to our movies we did sad sad face emoji anyway we got a brand new trailer park that we got to get through briefly before we get to our top five now the trailer that just dropped is mr denis villanue's dune cut the beat and let the music play no trailer park shout out to dave and jay I don't serve, but it's a newer wave. We've been on since trust God saved the right style. I don't want to flow until I know that the bass drop. All right, Jay, it's like the Dean Villeneuve has got a direct line to you because he told you to drop your socks, grab your cock, bend over, touch your toes, and he's going to show you where the wild goose goes because we just got the Dune trailer. This is, I think, other than Tenet, I want to say this is like your most anticipated film. Am I uh, incorrect in thinking that? I believe this was definitely, I think, number number one or number two, maybe number number five. I can't remember exactly, but... Um, you know, obviously you got the James Bond movie coming out soon too. I'm excited for that. Right. But but obviously Dune is a huge one. Um it's it's one of those sci fi movies where I feel like I can get really get behind and the cast and Denis being behind the helm. Um everything is going for it for me to potentially fall in love with. So I I was very much looking forward to this. Yeah, and I, you know, we we had previously gotten like a teaser trailer where I think you and I just really focused on like the visuals and we liked that aspect of it. We liked the way that it looked and everything like that, but it didn't give us a whole lot story-wise. This time around, though, they're kind of opening that can up a little bit and they're kind of giving us a glimpse at at the greater story that's that's going on here. There's something happening to me. There's something awakening in my mind. I can't control it. What did you see? There's a crusade coming. Do you often dream things that happen just as you dream them? Yes. The test is simple. Remove your hand from the box and you die. What's in the box? Pain. You inherit too much power. You have proven you can rule yourself. Now you must learn to rule others. Something none of your ancestors learned. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too. 
Arrakis is a death trap. Kill them. This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? It's going to follow Timothy Chalamet's character of Paul Atreides as he is him and his family are moving from their home planet of, I want to say it's Caledon. Everyone's going to, have to forgive me because I've never seen the Dune. I've never read the Dune book and I've never seen the original Dune movie. You know, there are holes in my nerd knowledge. So I'll have to apologize <laughs> there. But when I hear from everybody, it's something I really need to read. It's something I'm really going to enjoy. But at this point, I'd like to get this movie out of the way and then read the Dune novel. And then, you know, enjoyed yeah. Dune 2 and stuff like that but I like you know I, I just kind of want to move forward now going into it kind of blind but they are moving from their home planet I believe like I said it's Caladan and they are moving to Arrakis and Arrakis is a place where it's got spice you know and what is spice spice uh, the, the way I'm equating spice to from from what I'm understanding is it gives people kind of like supernatural powers like they they, they may live longer lives sort of they, yeah it gives you like max performance within your own self, right? Right. Faster reflexes, stronger, you know, better, faster, stronger. It is cocaine. I do cocaine! It's what, it's what cocaine yeah. is. You know, yeah. when you're on cocaine, you you feel all these things. You're invincible. Yeah. You know, you're it's super strong. It's hard to come by. It's really rare. And right. Paul's family was notoriously well known for being very rich within uh, having a lot of spice. And, and, and obviously, if you have spice, it gives you power. And uh, they've been ruling the world and um, one of their worlds. And, and now they're trying to, you know, defend theirs and also retain more spice. <laughs> exactly. So his family uh, moves there and his, you know, his father is being played by Oscar Isaac. A.K.A. Daddy. Right, right. Or, <laughs> you know, if you want to be if you want to be technical to to what the character's name is in it, it is Duke Leto Artratus. Yeah. And his family is moving there and they are going to basically be doing battle with Raman Harkonnen, who is played by Dave Batista and the rest of his family, uh, like Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, who is played by Stellan Skarsgård. And, um, you know, it, this in in this time around this movie, the main villain is pretty much going to be Dave Batista. Whereas in the second film, it's probably going to focus more on Stellan Skarsgård character as the main villain. Cause here it kind of looks like he's somewhat in like a stasis almost, uh, Stellan guards, yeah. Stellan Skarsgård's character of Baron. Uh, but we also get some images from Timothy Chalamet's character of Paul as he's kind of seeing some stuff in the future, um, where he's kind of like thinking, it's having images of things that, character. that happened that seems to have in the past one of his powers i guess you could say is um the dreams that he has some people definitely get precog yeah some people have exactly. precognitive abilities exactly. as a result of spice right so um he's kind of going through that as well but it's really setting up this dynamic of these two dueling factions one obviously bathed in white armor and one obviously cloaked in black armor and they, they really do play with that light and dark duality Villeneuve with his visuals uh, because 
where they come from, this watery planet, they're moving to a desert planet, a, a dry, harsh, desolate land. While it's rich in spice, it's it's also far more treacherous. And there, so there's like a duality there between between the the lush and and the and the desert. And then you also have the duality between the, the light and dark. And uh, so much of this film, you know, even when we're watching it, like in, in those moments where he's sticking his hand in a box that's only going to bring him pain. And if he removes his hand, he will be killed, as as they say in the trailer. You know, that's that's kind of bathed in darkness. Everything that happens inside is in the dark. Everything that's outside is in, is in the bright light. Mm. And you know, there's there, there's themes of of sun and moon and light and dark and good and evil and and fear. Uh, fear is a big word. Fear, yeah, that's a big one. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Which I love. It's all very basic themes that we can all get behind. Exactly. But- it's expertly showed to you by Denis Villeneuve and the visuals that he's bringing to you. You know, like I said, I'm not big, you know, into the novels. I know nothing about them practically other than what I'm getting here and some of the information that's being filtered through through other parties. But what I'm seeing, I'm extremely excited for i cannot wait for it i like this this idea of the of the technology that they're using like those drop ships that they have they look like fucking dragonflies and it just it just looks so fucking cool and obviously you know villeneuve is a massive dune fan he's a big time dune fan and this is as you've said before his dream project it is yeah it absolutely is when he first read the novel that he was pretty much around paul's age around 15 years old and absolutely fell in love with the book and um he's i think he even said he's even a fan of uh david lynch's film i mean he's just a straight up dune nerd if he had a dream project to do dune was it and obviously he's got the kings to hollywood uh the keys to hollywood right now so he was able to make his dune film and of course we see jason momoa here uh obviously showing off some of his action skills some of the things he learned playing aquaman and his time with game of thrones but he has the fucking coolest name i fucking love this name duncan idaho mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah i just I, I, I absolutely love it. But like, I'm just really loving the world that they're setting up here. But the question that you and I were, were talking about pre-roll um, before we, you know, before we started recording, Jay, we, we were talking about Blade Runner 2049. Yes. And what Denis Villeneuve brought to that world and how you and I really enjoyed it. However, it's a world that was niche, like, you know, fans of it. It's a, it's, it's a cult classic. So a la Dune. Technically, so exactly, but you're trying to give it a big budget and and market it to a mass audience, and it just didn't work because so much of Blade Runner 2049's marketing kind of seemed like it hinged on you having some knowledge Mm -hmm. of Blade Runner, the original one, and people didn't go out to theaters to see it. It just didn't make the money for it to for to. Villeneuve to even be given offered a sequel he instead got offered this movie his chance to do his dream do you think by watching this that they're that Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures is doing anything different than they did with Villeneuve's uh, Blade Runner 2049 uh, or is this going to be another niche market where it's just not going to do a whole lot blockbuster wise in the domestic box office anyway and do we even get a second one sure so for example, we as filmgoers and 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 fans, uh, personally, you and I and other people, we love it. We love what we see. We think it looks fantastic. We're there, right? Great actors, great director, and 
beautiful visuals. I'm there already. Exactly. I immediately started thinking about Blade Runner 2049 and how the marketing failed for that film to deliver the box office results that it, it should have had. You know, it could be a mixture of things of the story itself being so dense or so nuanced where they didn't want to exposition dump within the trailers. I, I don't know exactly. However, this is a slightly better trailer than they did with Blade Runner 2049, but ever still, this does not... I think bring in the no. people who do not know anything about Dune, who are, no, who are not so huge film moviegoers. It's not going to bring in the nine year olds or the teenagers. I think, even though it's got you know a great cast, um, I think it's not quite delivering the goods to get people hyped. Um, I don't think so either. Moviegoer, at least. So I don't know. Maybe the second trailer will have a a more of a storyline theme where you can actually get a little bit more understanding of what this is all about, perhaps. As always, my litmus test for these type of things is I watched this trailer with my wife, and I was like, oh, the Dune trailer came out. And she goes, what's that? And I explained it to her. I was like, oh, it's Denis Villeneuve. He's the guy that did Blade Runner 2049. And she's like, I... I, I don't care about that movie. Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, he did the movie Arrival where the aliens come and they yeah, teach you language and stuff. <laughs> and, and, and she was like, oh, I kind of like that. And I was like, all right, well, here's the trailer. And she goes, Sicar, that yeah. looks, she's like, that looks weird. I, what, what is, I don't care about this. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Hence, there's my general audience right there. No, exactly. And, and, <laughs> and Lauren is very much in, in a lot of ways that kind of camp. Is and, the general audience person, yeah. And even though she consumes quite a bit of content, she is she has a pretty good pulse of like just what she likes and what she doesn't like. She's very blatant about that. So, um, you know, she'll give it to us straight and she usually does. And but and for I me, think with I sci-fi what I'm seeing here. Yeah. Yes. Oh, she hates sci-fi. So this right. may be not be, be exactly, the best for exactly. her. But like I loved everything I'm seeing here. Like I, you know, I loved seeing sure. seeing uh, Josh Brolin and uh, Timothy Chalamet like yeah. facing off in like a training session with their with their shields on and stuff yeah. like that. And I love this idea that like you have to get up close and personal to fight with people, even though it's very sci-fi. You know, they're still using swords and stuff because sure. you can't shoot people with a laser if they have a shield on because the person with the shield would explode, and so would the guy firing the laser because the energy would travel down the laser bolt and go right to the other person. So everyone has to fight up close and personal. We get to see some brief glimpses of what looks like some very action heavy scenes, but also this is not going to be an action heavy movie either. While it is dealing with battles and dueling families and stuff like that, there's it, it's going to lay more heavily into themes and into its characters right. than it is right. really the action around them. Right. Yeah, this is definitely a dense layered type, almost a character study within a very broad ensemble. So it's not a sci-fi epic. It is not. It is not a. It's not a Star Wars. I mean, well, sure. That's a a space opera. It's not that this is a little different. Exactly. Well said. That's a space opera. This is not. um, But, you know. I think this is going to be poised as something extremely special, and and I think it's you know we're 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 going to be in for a treat. And I think once you actually get to the theater, you're going to absolutely enjoy yourself. I do think the average moviegoer will like this movie if they see this movie. If they go out and if see they it. see this movie, and I do think that that does have a lot of good things riding for it you know so I, I i don't know i mean i think it's one of those things where it does hinge a lot on the marketing i still don't know if this is even going to come out in december of this year like it's originally supposed to they did not lock down that date at the end of the trailer they said only in theaters 
Um, you know, they, they you know, it's it's a toss up right now with with Warner Brothers. You know, they're still toying around with Wonder Woman's release. Um, so you, you just we'll see, we'll see. But I think right now it's safe to say that we're all pretty fucking happy and excited for what we see with this oh, trailer. Yeah, yeah. especially because this, and if he gets green, if the second one does eventually get sure. made, and I hope this is probably the so. last big blockbuster sci-fi epic that we're going to see from Denis Villeneuve. Yes, my guess is this movie probably costs between. 150 to 200 million dollars to make i don't have any numbers on the exact certainly up there (laughs) yeah right but my guess is it's probably not going to pull in much more than 100 million dollars no i disagree i do think it's going to um probably do a little bit better than blade runner 2049 believe it or not i really do okay i do 150 million (laughs) dollars Still, I, I well, I don't see I, it making its money back domestically. It I, may I do think, gangbusters <laughs> internationally, though. See, w- w- again, like it's just one of those things where, with the whole environment, with the pandemic, I, you know, I, I don't know if I really want to toss around numbers right now because I don't know what to how to gauge that. Yeah, it's tough. Maybe by December, you know, we'll be a more uh, maybe. Maybe. Also, you you, you got to remember, and this does have something to do with box office at times. There's going to be a lot of tentpole blockbusters coming out in and around the fall and and late winter times timeline now, like around Christmas now. You know, we got we know we got Black Widow on November sixth. We know Wonder Woman is in there somewhere. They don't have an exact date for it, but we have some big blockbusters that are coming in and around that time. And some people get into the groove of going to the movies, and it's like sure. If this is the hot movie that's coming out that week, it might catch some of that general audience that that is that that has already seen those other movies. It might, it might not, and that's but true. I, that's I true. I don't think I don't think this is going to do that. I don't, I don't think it's going to do that well. I really don't. I I, I want it to. No, you know, I, I'm not saying I it's it to going do better to do than very well, but I, but I don't think it is. I think it's just going to do slightly better than 2049. I do. Um, it's just a matter of. I, you know, again, the the marketing it, it, it needs to ha- it needs to bring a little bit more pop to get people into into the theaters, and that's the younger folks, not the older folks who read the novel years and years ago. You know, and right and, or even knew the well, first one thing's for movie. sure. It's certainly popping you, sir. It's got it, it it popped your black cherry nice and good so far with this trailer. So I think you and I are both extremely excited for it, yep. and uh, we're obviously going to be reviewing it when it comes out, but on. Fortunately, other people may not get out there and see it, and it may wind up doing abysmally in the box office. It might wind up doing well in the box office. Time will fucking tell. But Jay, speaking of whether this movie does well in a domestic box office or internationally, or whether Mulan made its money here in the U.S. or did well internationally, or whether Tenet made its money in the U.S. or made more of it internationally, we got a top five to do. We kind of have like this this theme right now where... Uh, you know, the U.S. is kind of still in half lockdown and we're kind of getting this we're, we're, we're kind of seeing that things are doing a lot better internationally than they are domestically. And we do know that in recent times, Hollywood has we always call it pandering, but they've realized that they have a, a large market internationally for them to market to. And maybe we want to do this top five of the top five domestic flops that killed it internationally. So these are all films that didn't do so hot here in America, but for some reason overseas, they really resonated. So let's head over and let's get into our top five.
let's kick it off with you, bud. What is your number five top five domestic flops that killed it internationally? Okay, I will start it off with 2016's Duncan Jones's Warcraft. So, this film was obviously well hyped up, well beloved within the video game world. Oh yeah, this is one of the um, largest video games ever. Yes. Period. Uh, once again, it was around that time when everyone's just chomping at the bit at a waiting for the great movie adaptation of a video game. And, and I and think, was this I, it? I think this this came close. I do think better it, it than came most. Close. I would say yes, better than most. I agree. At least, um, you know, I did not go to this movie willingly. This is not my cup of tea, but as my old uh, career had me to do sometimes was bring some of my clients to the movie theater every once in a while and go and see something that they want to see. Now, and you didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I, I really respected what they were trying to do with this movie, and I saw the potential, and I thought the visuals of what they they pulled off, I think, worked, uh, you know, well enough. And I, you know, there was a lot of fun to be had, and I think it had right. a, a pretty grand story, an epic story, and emotion, surprising emotion, even sprinkled in there. So right. this and and really did a great job with mocap as well. Like yes. it, you know, mocap was. Yes. On point for, for this movie. Yeah. Uh, so the big question is, what did it do domestically? Domestically. And what did it do internationally? Domestically, yes. So this one made $47 million domestically, internationally, $392 million. Jesus. So this box office worldwide was $439 million. That easily made its money it made its money back i mean i mean even if it's a 200 million dollar movie they didn't put 200 million dollars in marketing (laughs) so you know this this definitely made its money but it's i i'm surprised that it didn't get the sequel that i think they were even planning on trying to oh they were yeah they were planning a series on Um, this for sure i'm i'm a little surprised and and i think I, i think it just goes to show that's a dramatic number shift domestic and and then worldwide I mean, you, this is probably numbers wise on my list. This is probably the most dramatic one, um, the forty seven to three hundred ninety one. I mean, this is this is up. This is a you know, it's a that's a big shift. That's, and that, that's a big swing, yeah, and, for sure. You know, this is um, one of those kind of movies where there's a lot of financiers that are from the states and from Hollywood, and they don't want to be behind this movie or put the stars in these movies if it's not going to make that much money state-wise. And if it's only going to be international, they don't want to fuck with it. I don't know. But this, Maybe. again, isn't a movie that like you loved or anything. It's it's just a movie that's like, Correct. it was fine. It probably didn't deserve the flack that it got here domestically, though. Correct. And, and then there's a lot of movies, I'll just say this off the bat, um, Mine's a little weird. My 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 list is a little weird. It's per it's an, it may not be the greatest movies in the world. Um, I I tried to put on on my top five movies that I liked. You know, um, for this for this list, along with being such a dramatic flip flop, but um, I unfortunately did not have the the most amount of time that I usually do with these top fives to execute uh, a well thought out top five that I'd be kind of standing behind. So I apologize in advance if in case right, my top right, five is a right. little yeah, off, you, but you did a shit job. Yeah. Blame, we, we blame, blame producer Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my number five, Jay is a film with Dom Hall Gleason, 
Rachel at Rachel McAdams and Billy Nye. It's a romantic comedy, sort of, I guess a romantic dramedy, you would say. Mm. It's called About Time. And Tom Hall Gleason's character finds out that he is he's inherited a trait from his father, played by Billy Nye, where he's able to travel through time. And he kind of goes back and relives some aspects of his life and then kind of tries to make alterate altercations and then ultimately winds up changing his life and has to fight to get that old life that he had back. Now, I absolutely love this movie. Like I, I, it's no, no cinematic masterpiece or anything like that, but you know me, I am a sucker for romantic comedies. I, I talk about that all the time. And this romantic dramedy really hit me like where I really enjoyed it. You have yet to see it, even though it's on your uh, I know, Netflix I've been meaning inbox. to watch it. Yeah. But it only made $15 million domestically, but $73 million internationally. So yeah. now it is a mostly British cast, which may have helped it in the in the western markets um i don't think any of that 73 million dollars came from a turn market whatsoever but i i really enjoyed it and i was surprised that it did so poorly here because you know i i don't know when it released whether it was something that came out in and around like valentine's day but like if you threw this on a valentine's day you know it does romantic time travel better than the lake house does. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> Forget your Keanu Reeves and your Sandra Bullock back on screen for the first time since speed. Just give me Dom Hall Gleason and Rachel McAdams in this absolutely just charming movie. So uh, if you haven't checked out about time, I highly recommend it. It's a good I, time. Watch, I, I promise. Watch it with your lady friend, your, 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 your guy friend. Watch it, watch it with yourself and then jerk off afterwards. I will just, just yeah. feel something yeah. for once. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Jay, what's your number four? All right, 2017's The Mummy. Now, the main this reason- This was an abysmal movie. Yes. This movie sucked. Okay, so this is my defense for why I have this on my list. Because uh, it's got Tom Cruise in it, and that's it? Well, <laughs> one of the reasons is the financial disparity. So domestically, this made $80 million. International was $329 million. So the world, the worldwide box office was $409 million worldwide. The reason why this did not really kick off the dark universe is because with all the dark universe bullshit promotion and marketing, it probably broke even this movie itself to revamp this whole new uh, scope of what they were trying to do, and I think that's probably why I put it on my list because of hey, they the made some of their money back because didn't didn't Tom Cruise shatter his ankle on this movie, or was that one of the Mission Impossible's where he shattered his ankle? That was Mission jumping Impossible. From Mission Impossible. All right, because yeah. you know you know the production got a hefty amount of money from the insurance company. What what does it cost to insure a Tom Cruise? You know, where it's, it's like oh, impossible because I know I where it's like <laughs> you got Tom Cruise in this movie, and it's like all right, what do you yeah. plan on doing with him? Well, we're going to strap him to a plane. Did you? How just, many insurance companies? Did you go see pass? what he just did? His his his, his, his stunt his stunt the other day because they resumed filming. Was he literally drew, rode a motorcycle off of this huge ramp cliff and then I don't even know what it's called a parachuted down you know in this middle of this cliff. <laughs> I didn't even know that Scientology was it was it was a was a death cult, you know. But it, it seems like Tom Cruise has taken I, it that way. Where he's like, if I'm not dying filming a movie, I'm, like, I'm not this motherfucker. I'm not living life. We I'm don't not I'm living like, life. You know, we don't deserve Tom Cruise. <laughs> Ultimate action star. Look at that. 
Scientology um, doesn't deserve Tom Cruise. We deserve him. Scientology doesn't. That is true. I agree. Look, Fuckstick, I'm incredibly busy, so why don't you get the hell out of here before I snap your dick off and jam it into your ass? <laughs> I love Tom Cruise. Fuck I, Scientology. Like, he's, abso- he's absolutely insane. I try. I just. I choose to to not think about that. <laughs> I but love him as really, an actor. He did really That's jump out of it. a plane for for the mummy, though, didn't he? He did really jump out of that plane. I'm almost positive that he did. No, that was Mission Impossible again, again. <laughs> but but no, no. In the plane was there was this stunt inside the plane where the dynamic of it all was like zero gravity or something like gotcha. that. It was a okay. weird thing. Um, that he performed. Lesson learned for Tom Cruise. Keep putting the, your body the on the line is, for like, Mission Impossible, you know, but don't do it for anything it, ridiculous and stupid like the Mummy. It Got had it. its chance to learn its lessons from this movie, the faults of this movie, and and right the wrongs going forward. Because again, this is a classic monster universe. We should have these movies out there coming out still. Right. And, Without a and, shitty Mummy, we would never would have gotten you know, a pretty good invisible man well okay so that's where you can argue now now it's going to revamp in a better way <laughs> and i'm not or oh I'm you not mean to com- bring brendan fraser back is that the better way and i'm not complaining I, that's the better way for me bring brendan fraser back wow. give that give that dude with his lazy eye give him give him a chance does he give have a lazy chance. eye i know he has a, i know he has fake floppy hair <laughs> all right sorry i stopped you about talking about the mummy because i don't i don't like that being on your list because it wasn't a good movie <laughs> No, I, know. I, know. I give you a pass on, on Warcraft I tried because to. it was because it was okay. Yeah. But the Mummy is just a bad movie. Jay, my number four is Kingdom of Heaven. This is the Ridley Scott epic crusade movie. Uh, knights going to you know going to the Middle East, fighting in the Crusades and stuff. It's it's bloody. It's bleak. It's it's honestly better than it was given credit for. And the director's cut. We we had this on our list for director's cut. Infinitely improves this film it only pulled in 47 million dollars in the in the domestic box office but it pulled in 171 million dollars internationally and i don't love this movie but i i like this movie a lot and i really respect ridley scott for what he did with it especially in that director's cut yeah no i hear you i agree I'm not I gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna push on it too hard. But also, it, it's super weird that Edward Norton was in this movie, but never shows his face, not, not once. And apparently, like that was his call, where he was like, "I don't want to show my face. I don't want to be in this movie. This movie's crap." Apparently, like that. That's like the story behind why he didn't show his face in it because he didn't want to be part of this movie. And it's like, I think you're wrong, dude. I think you should have gotten behind this movie. I think Hollywood should have gotten behind this movie a little bit more. I think. I think some people should have gotten behind this movie a little bit more. I'm not saying you know it's glad or anything like that but i'm saying it, it, it's it's a couple steps below that it's pretty damn good and i think the international market got that and the u.s the you know the domestic market they didn't yeah all right jay moving on to you man what's your number three my number three is need for speed <laughs> again i told you this movie is a little want i mean this little uh, list of mine is a little wonky hey, i didn't hate need for speed and it's one of michael keaton's best roles in I, 10 years thank you see <laughs> Now I know I, get, I know this movie gets a lot of hate, but I kind of liked it. And the film yeah, the film I was directed by um, a stunt guy, so it was the first 
directed film by a stunt guy. So he really wanted to do everything practical. So all the cars were practical. Need for Speed yes. did it before John Wick did. And it was Aaron Paul's first big starring role after Breaking Bad. So I was all behind him. It was Rami Malek in there, cameo performance before he was Rami Malek. And, you know, showed his ass. He was kind of funny. Yeah. It was Back it was, in the it day was, when he was just was, season one of Mr. It, Robot. It was a fun, silly movie. And, you know, I, I like this movie. I had a lot of fun with this. So this one did $44 million dollars in the u.s but 160 million dollars internationally so this one uh lost money this one definitely lost money i think it was i, I think, think it was I, it's not bad it maybe just broke had, even but i think it had like a 70 million type of budget right that you know after marketing i mean it had a lot of marketing and it had spielberg not, behind it for as a producer too it's not bad it's just that given that it's about car racing it's up against the Fast and Furious franchise, and you're always going to compare it yeah, to that. Yeah, you and just have to that. know what you're kind of going for. And I think, I think they, you know, they they made the movie that they wanted to make. They did, you know. I, yeah. I, I you know, it had the movie's fine. Had a villain. It's, it's not had a bad movie. Dominic Cooper playing the bad guy. Had a cute girlfriend, Imogen Poots, and you know, another cool buddy, Kid Cudi. You know, all these, all these like things that like kind of worked. And it just. It's just fine. It's just a simple, fine, easy, fun action car movie to watch. You know, it's very simple. Michael Keaton, as you said, hams it up. Has a lot of good singers. It. A lot yeah. of fun with it. You he, know, he knew he knew what he was making when he when he signed up. For oh, it. sure, sure. He, he 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 definitely waited for the ink to be dry before he recorded one line <laughs> of dialogue for that for that movie. But you know, he made sure that that check cashed <laughs> before he did anything. But once he was there, he knew exactly what he was doing. You bunch of losers! You're working with a professional here! All right, Jay. Uh, my number three. This is a film that I remember when it came out. It had people kind of like divided. Some people were like, this movie is ridiculous. It's just CGI, big robots fighting CGI, big monsters. It's stupid. There's other people who were like, no, man, it, th th this is like Godzilla to the nth degree, man. It's kaijus. It's, it's, it's epic on scale. It's Pacific Rim. Oh, now, I'm one of those people. I have not seen it. I, I really enjoyed the original Pacific Rim. Uh, I thought that it, you know, it was, again, epic in scale for sure, but it gives you exactly what you want from a giant blockbuster like this. It gives you Idris Alba, you know, it, 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 it gives you Charlie Hunnam, and it gives you big fucking robots punching big fucking monsters in the face and it gives you charlie day in there for some good comic relief as long as as well as ron perlman i fucking enjoyed the ever-loving shit out of this movie and when i hear people who are just like ah that movie sucks and i'm like it doesn't like it was fun like this movie was fucking fun isn't that like just enough for you sometimes yeah. like can't we just have fucking fun yeah. with a movie and I think that's exactly what this movie set out to do it, it wanted to pay homage to things like Godzilla and King Kong and big monster movies and kaiju movies and it also wanted to tell a fun story that involved big robots punching big monsters in the face just for once in your life don't smash Big monster! Let's go! It only made $101 million domestically, and it made $309 million internationally, doubling 
it's it, with the international box office and it finally warranted a sequel which languished for so long and then pacific rim uprising came out and i, I felt like while it had the big robots and the big monsters punching in the face, none of the care went into making the film at all. It, it was just a garish mess. You know, there, there was no minor nuance to it at all. Where Pacific Rim, you know, I felt like it took its time to kind of craft its world and make it believable. Pacific Rim Uprising just completely was like an anime the whole time. And I, I think it kind of missed the mark on what made Pacific Rim a really fun movie. And they just went for big robots punch big things in the face. That's what you want, right? And yeah. it's like, kind of, kind of. I also want to care about my characters a little bit. <laughs> I also want a little bit more from it. But, you know, you, know, you do you. All right, Jay, what is your number two? Number two is 2005's Kingdom of Heaven. So we already kind of previously talked about that on this list by having you talk about it, I think, on your number three or number four. I don't know if it made its budget. Uh, I don't think so. But either either way, this was a highly well-done movie. This is probably my one of my more favorite ones, probably my you know it's my number two on my list it's i watched this probably a handful of times uh the director's cut is obviously a little better than the theatrical cut but i think this was something that was you know really epic and i think it showed that orlando bloom was you know definitely still a star you know obviously he can't really were fantastic you know it was the cinematography was fantastic i think it was a, a great well poised story and 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 shot really well by Ridley Scott and I think he did a fantastic job with this and and I think after this movie he he really he struggled until The Martian came out um, for sure that he was did. a long that was a long gap yeah and you know it was a big flop for him <laughs> oh it, sure, it, it certainly was it certainly was and they certainly hyped it up and you know Orlando Bloom at the time was the guy and he was in every big fucking movie at the time with Pirates and Lord of the Rings so you know he kind of did no wrong and this was a big coming out party for him front and center and it didn't quite and it didn't do much for his career what it was supposed to do no so um but i like you know it's on my list i enjoyed it as well so jay my number two is edge of tomorrow or Mm. live die repeat jealous that this is on your list and not mine none other than tom fucking cruise man i really enjoy this movie i know sci-fi fans enjoy this movie i love the setup for this movie i love the fact that you know he's the 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 time travel and everything like that and obviously it all comes together in that beach scene when they're attacking the beachhead and you know he's literally getting to point a to b dying then he gets from point a to b then to c and then he dies a b to c to d and then he dies and so on and so on until they until they get to the point where they can complete the mission but i i thought that this was just a smart concept i love the visuals in it i i wasn't always crazy about the monsters in it but i just love like the giant mechs and everything like that i also really liked emily blunt as an action star here yeah you know of course fantastic it all worked and it was really interesting seeing Tom Cruise not so much as the action star right like he's the he's the bumbling moron and it, and it essentially. worked and it worked and it worked and it worked he makes anything work i swear i swear that's, that dude that's makes why anything i love he's <laughs> great he, actor like i, I f- f- fuck scientology in his personal life i don't care that dude entertains the fucking shit out of me he can less grossman anytime <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, no, I, I, I think Edge, Edge of Tomorrow is just a fucking enjoyable fucking movie. And it only did $100 million in the domestic box office, but internationally pulled in $270 million. So obviously kind of like this video game formula that they gave to a movie, this is essentially the best video game movie that's ever been made, even though it's not based on any video game per se. But essentially the the whole respawning uh every time you die is a very video game trip and this felt like like if this was the hook to a video game i'm in i'd play 100 percent, and i i really enjoyed it and i can't believe that a lot of people didn't get behind it but i think it came out at a time where property films were hot and this didn't have a big property behind it and uh now rumor is we may be getting a sequel to it thanks to it's somewhat domestic cult status yeah all right jay moving on to you man uh we're kind of going to skip honorable mentions here i think the only honorable mention i had was danny boyle's sunshine i didn't pull the numbers for it i know it did abysmal in the in the u.s domestic box office but did pretty well uh internationally enough to make its money back but i i left it off the list because it danny boyle is a british director it was a mostly british cast and uh it kind of felt like it was more of an international film even though it had a domestic release so i left it off my list but if i had an honorable mention it's sunshine and i know you have no honorable mentions for this list correct? yeah i did not develop this list that's fine uh, all right man properly what's your number one but my number one is certainly going as surprised it is everest that is a surprise because I have something on my list that I 100% thought you would have on yours, but yeah, Everest, man, I liked it. So get into it. Yeah, this is a great movie. I think a lot of people have not seen, even though it's, um, you know, well revered, I think, because of the quality. This came out in 2015, follows the true story of this team that went up to Everest and in 1996 and had to suffer one of the worst blizzard storms ever. And, you know, it had a stellar cast. It's a true story. Robert Wright, you got Vanessa Kirby in there, Jake Gyllenhaal, Josh Brolin, Keira Knightley, Sam Worthington, John Hawks, you know, all these great guys, Jason Clark. And, you know, it really delivered. It was, it was shot extremely well. Um, directed by this this guy who I I've never you know heard of too much of besides doing Two Guns with Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg you know that action movie um, he's done some other things I can't pronounce his name uh, Balthazar Kermakar Kormakar I'm sorry well it's your fault for not having a phonetic dictionary for a last name <laughs> available to you <laughs> and uh and I really just love this movie. I thought it was so well done. It was so well executed. And yeah, I, know, I box wouldn't say office love it, wise, but I I found it enjoyable. I did find it riveting. I thought you know it was it, it, it's kind of shedding a light on something that none of us will ever experience. You sure. know, I I hear that like I going found up that to Everest yeah. is is essentially like waiting in line for a really long roller coaster, except you're you're both starving and thirsty and dying Suffering. of lack of oxygen, but you're waiting in a long ass line to get to the summit and you're just walking past dead bodies and stuff like that but I, I like that this film really showed you like the treachery of of yeah. what it means to like climb Everest and stuff like that and uh, Josh Brolin was great in it you know um, Jake Gyllenhaal was good in oh, it yeah, as was, well was, so like good characters I, I, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. It was it was fairly enjoyable. I watched this. I remember like it was one of those like Sunday rainy afternoons on HBO, and I was like, uh, all right, 
yeah, I'll watch one of these like true life story ones, quote unquote. And I, I remember thinking it was going to be something that's like pretty generic and stuff. And I was like, no, it's, it's better than generic. You know, right. it's, 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 it's more than solid. It's, it's pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say I loved it, but like it was pretty darn good. I certainly have watched it more than once since then. So, yeah. So this one made $43 million domestically, $159 million internationally. So uh, a little bit, almost like $204 million worldwide, uh, $50 million budget. You know, this, this, this still was a pretty modest budget for this kind of movie. I mean, obviously you had a pretty good ensemble cast and you needed the quality visual effects to really pull this off in an authentic way. And it, sure. and it worked and it worked and they did a great job with this. Um, just kind of a little shame. I, 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 you know, that this kind of flew under the radar. And I do think, you know, with given the fact that it's based on a true story on a true expedition, um, I, I like to get behind stuff like this. So like, I, you know, I want to give it its fair due and, and talk about it. RJ, my number one, we did a lot of talking about it already when we were talking about the new villain is Dune. Yep. Uh, this is a sequel to a cult classic, and uh, it didn't do well in a domestic box office. It just didn't hit the general audience in the way that Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures may have wanted it to. But it's Blade Runner 2049, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. We, like I said, it was gorgeous. It's I if if we were doing a a list of top five sequels that were better than the original, I love the original. I might like this more. I think I need more viewings of it than like I think I've seen the original Blade Runner. You know, it's well really hard over to say because twenty four twenty five times. See, so. the, the thing about the original Blade Runner is it's just kind of cooler. It's classic, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it just it's, puts you in this world a little bit better. This mood, like this, like a weird, creepy, noir. sexy mood. Yeah, yeah. very noir much noir. Mood, yeah. And and this one was just uh, epic in yeah. so many different kind of ways. I don't want to get into it, but um, very poised, very great. It's great one of our story, it's great follow. One of our favorite movies in the past decade, for sure. Both me and Jay, I can yes, I, I, I can I say think, that with I with fair so. confidence that this would be on one of Jay's lists for of the decade. Um, but you know, in the domestic market. Market, it pulled in $92 million. Internationally, it pulled in $167 million. So not much of a difference um, as, as some of the other films that have been on the list here. But it's enough of a difference where, it, it you know, it, clearly its visuals and its sci-fi elements in the story hit an international market more so than a domestic market. Uh, and I'd be interested to see whether Blade Runner, you know, the original, also had a a large international market but also at the same time you know this is one of those things where it could have been and slash should have been another movie that did even better internationally than it already performed so it could right. have been and should have been exceeding uh, right. even if now, domestically it didn't do as well the original the original blade runner i guess the, you know there wasn't really a whole lot uh, of an international market back in 1982 so it, it essentially made 11 million uh, i'm sorry 9 million dollars domestically as it pulled in 32 million dollars roughly 33 million dollars domestically so uh, you know maybe the international market wasn't as widespread as it is now but yeah. um you know it's clearly something the asian about this market film. 
kid would absolutely love this more. They they like noir, yeah. you know. They make a yeah, lot of noir films. Out I there. like this. I like this a lot. Obviously, it's one of my favorite films of of the past of the past ten years. So uh, you know, it, it kind of hurt a little bit when I went and saw it, and I was like somewhat blown away by it. And then I come out, and I was just like, oh man, watching the box office. And like I remember watching like people writing about it, and like why did this fail? And it's like, yeah, it, shocked. It it shocked. just didn't hit a mainstream market uh i would say the nice guys was even more shocking (laughs) (laughs) as as far as gossing films films that should have done really well that flopped you know we really enjoyed it and when we came out it didn't do well anywhere no worldwide 62 million dollars and i was just like that movie was Pretty darn good, man. That was yeah. that was good, Shane Black. Yeah, and then you get and then you get uh, you Bunched know the Predator, million. and yep. it's not. <laughs> is not good Shane Black but that's going to do it for our list this week if you have any comments about our top five list or any of the reviews or discussions we had on this episode you can reach out to us on our social media I'm on Twitter at SuperMoviePod I'm on Twitter J underscore SMB I am on Facebook SuperMoviebros podcast and on Instagram SuperMoviebros and of course if you are enjoying the show uh, you can support us by leaving us a five star review on iTunes tunes or the list of the podcast listening app of your choice so i want to thank everybody for listening have a great one cheers cheers <laughs>